I'm not even sure if sponsoring your own podcast is a thing, but we're going to give it a go for the remainder of this series because She Can, She Did has just launched the UK's first ever benefits programme curated for and by self-employed women in the UK. And so I wanted to use this opportunity to tell you all a little bit about it. The new She Can, She Did Benefits programme provides all self-employed women, female founders and freelancers with access to the health and financial benefits that come hand in hand with a corporate career, like pensions, health insurance, gym memberships, eye care, etc, etc, plus a whole host of additional fashion, beauty, well-being, parenthood and lifestyle incentives too, with over 60 plus brands on board and counting, including the likes of Pure Gym, Hiscox, Penfold and Vision. Express on the more traditional benefits front, to the likes of Esper, Bloom and Wild, Higher Street, to HelloFresh and Oh Mama on the ultimate rewards front. For just £5.99 per month, you will gain access to a whole host of exclusive benefits and rewards to support both your business and your life, which, let's face it, will become all the more important as we all try and navigate the uncertainty that the coming months present. Plus, all members benefit from weekly online events with industry experts at no extra cost too, along with many, many more perks of the programme. Visit shecanshedid.com for more details if you're interested, or of course, feel free to just click on the link in this episode's show notes. I feel like Cheryl when I say the next bit, but here goes. She can, she did. Your resilience rewarded. Hello everyone and welcome back to the She Can, She Did podcast, aka the podcast that shares the honest realities of what female business owners in the UK push through behind the scenes, the good, the bad and the more often than not unbelievably challenging to not just launch but run, grow and sustain their businesses to date. If we haven't met yet, I'm Fee and I'm the founder of She Can, She Did slash the one asking the questions throughout this chat. Now, for those of you that are thinking about launching your own fashion label and or are running any creative product-based business for that matter, I have a feeling that this week's interview with Sarah Birchall, founder of Cub and Pudding, will be one of your favourites. Having spent 10 years working as a PA for the head of the bank in the city, a chance encounter with a life coach forced Sarah to reevaluate her career and importantly, work out what truly, truly brought her joy. As a mum of two who took great pleasure in dressing her son and daughter, not before long, the idea for cub and pudding was born. Quirky, gender-neutral kids wear that defies seasonal trends and can be worn all year round. The two of us sat down for a chat on Zoom a few weeks back to talk about everything from how Sarah transitioned from her full-time role as a PA in the city and made the most of the blank canvas that came hand-in-hand with working on the business full-time. The reality of how she funded cup and pudding in the early days, given that sourcing materials, minimum orders and factory visits all add up, as well as the steps that she took to ensure that her items are ethically made. Plus, of course, the impact COVID and the increased time spent online had on cup and pudding, why she actively chooses to invest in those that will hold her to account, and importantly, how she's got over her fear of selling this year. There are so, so many pearls of wisdom in this one. This is Sarah's honest story so far. Sarah, let's dive in at the deep end. What is your business all about in your own words? And we'll just take it from there. 
my business is all about quirky, original, unisex kids wear. So just really attainable kids wear for all ages and both sexes. So just wanted to make something that was really accessible for parents, not just parents. So obviously not everyone has kids and they buy for nieces, nephews, friends, but without having to, you know, overthink about, oh, is that is that for girls? Is that for boys? And, you know, um, and I also wanted to create something that was seasonless too. So I didn't want this pressure of, uh, you know, I've got to go and buy a whole new spring summer wardrobe for my kids and I've got to put all those clothes away now and buy new. I wanted to make sure that it was just no, you know, really easy way of shopping for children. And, and the reality with kids is they're a lot more resilient than us in terms of, you know, seasons and things. You know what they're like, they try and go outside of winter without a coat on anyway. So yeah, make sure clothes that I could kind of really layer up and down throughout the year. And yeah, and that were just, quirky and original and fun I just found it impossible to find really cool boys clothes past the age of about three girls seem a bit easier I've got a daughter and a son so I can definitely vouch for that now there are more clothes on the market for girls you know quirky and playful but it just goes a bit digger dinosaur fireman sam for boys and that was never going to be my my thing so I just wanted to design for him primarily and that's kind of where it all started that's absolutely amazing. I feel like there's so many different angles we could go with that. But I'm really interested, like I was just saying, your original email when you reached out just spoke to me and I found it really funny. You phrased it, Life BC, and then you put in brackets, before children. So can you tell us what Life BC looked like for you? And, you know, the steps that led you to launch this? Yeah, yeah, of course. So... Once upon a time, once upon a time, I was uh, a feature writer on a magazine. So I, I was really always been quite creative. My husband's a graphic designer. I just kind of got a lot of creative friends. So that was kind of my mid-20s. But then it got to the point really where I live in London, this expensive city. And I think the novelty wore off of working in a media environment where I was earning no money whatsoever. And, you know, fairly long hours, but it was a job with feature writing. You never stop. So at the weekend, you're constantly thinking, oh, God, I've got, you know, I've got the Monday pitch to the editor. And it suddenly just started to really overwhelm me. I was made redundant for a magazine that I really enjoyed working on called She, which is now folded and moved to like a, a women's health fitness magazine, which was not my bag at all. Don't do health, don't do fitness. So I didn't then. So I was really unhappy there. and. Essentially, I just kind of felt it unfortunately killed my love of writing. I'd worked really hard to get into writing. I didn't go to university and I was kind of told, you know, you're not going to get anywhere without a journalism qualification or et cetera. But I did. I did a course in my evenings and I got onto a local paper as a feature writer just by working all my evenings for free and building up portfolio and stuff. And then, yeah, it killed my love of writing, working in a magazine. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the content. And like I said, the salary was just... I couldn't do anything, you know, I couldn't afford to go to Pizza Express. I had no money left after my rent. And I just thought I need to just take a step out from this and just actually think about earning some proper money, even though it might be particularly something I want to do. Ended up taking a maternity cover role at a bank, which was totally like, I've never worked anywhere corporate before. I remember being on the phone to the recruitment agent saying, oh, really? You know, I just don't know about this. And she said, just go in and meet them. And, you know, sure enough, they're really, really lovely. And yeah, and, you know, on the spot, I doubled my salary overnight just by, you know, going to work at a bank. And I thought, you know, it's a nine month contract. Just do it, Sarah. And yeah, it was it was an easy job. I was a PA to the head of the bank there. And um, I've always been really organized. I did PA temping when I was like, in my teens and things for like reception desk and things. It kind of comes really naturally to me. So it wasn't a hard job. 
Lo and behold, she didn't come back after maternity cover contract. And I stayed on. So the next couple of years, I got engaged, got married, stayed at the bank, et cetera, et cetera. And then I had my first child. Where were you based? Mary Wharf? In the city. So right next to Bank Station, literally next to the Bank of England. Yeah. So, which is really easy for me. I'm South East London. I, and I love it around there. I, if I was going to work anywhere. Part the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was in media, I worked in the middle of Soho and that was a lot of people's dream but I actually can stand you can't leave the front door of your building without being mobbed by tourists but oh god I was on Haymarket in my old job so literally like you'd come out and Piccadilly Circus and it was like whoa hello <laughs> but I would walk over London Bridge every day and you know I love it and the architecture there but I got married then I went off on maternity leave after my, my son and stayed off a year then when I went back I think I kind of thought, oh, I don't know how long I want to do this for because it started to kind of sink in. Okay, I'm still here now. I've been here five years, but I knew I wanted to have another baby. So within two years, I was off again for my second maternity leave. I had my daughter. And then when I went back, it really, really hit me. I thought, I'm going to be here until I retire unless something changes. And I cried going back my first day, walking over London Bridge. It was really, really a tough moment because... I had no other options though. That was the trouble. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't have any hobbies. I didn't do anything apart from eat and watch TV in the evenings after the kids had gone to bed. So I felt really lost. And it basically ended up being a chance meeting with a life coach at a women's panel event where they were talking about women in business. She'd left her business card in the goodie bag. And I just kind of, it was quite fortuitous, thought, okay, I've heard of these life coaches. I dropped her an email. It literally was, I'm really lost. I don't know what to do, but I want to change careers. Help, essentially. It happened that she was based near me in South East London. We met up, long, long story being, you know, she basically gave me a blank piece of paper, essentially, and just said, okay, you know, give a one to 10 of all of these, you know, big life stories, your friendships, your career, your relationship. And just, you know, don't think about it. Just let's work out money, what makes you happy, what doesn't. And obviously, where it came to my career, it was all a minus 3000 points there, because I was, you know, really bored, just bored. I wasn't miserable, but I just, I knew I wasn't using that, those creative cogs in my mind anymore. And it made me really frustrated, especially seeing my husband and I would meet people and they'd say, what do you do? And I was really embarrassed. Well, not embarrassed, I just was bored by my own story, basically. I'm a PA at a bank, you know, everyone's asleep. It came down to what made me tick and what really excited me. And I've just always really enjoyed dressing my kids in really cool clothes. Like for me, it always felt like, you know, it's a bit of a sweeping statement, but most women in particular, we care about what we wear in the morning. We get up and, you know, we shop and we, we wear clothes that we enjoy wearing. And it always it was just a no-brainer with my kids. I'm always quite surprised. I know some kids can be quite willful of their own accord, but I can see really, really trendy adults. And then the kids are like, okay, you didn't really care what you put those, especially when they're little, like, did you not think? Because I, I gravitate towards what kids are wearing all the time. You know, I'm not a handbag or shoe person, but I've always Oh loved- God, you would have hated what my mum dressed me and my sister in. And I look back at photos and I'm like, mum, what were you thinking? Like, that is just hideous. Were you an 80s baby? I was an 80s baby. My sister though. was, and I was 90s, but we were very much, to be fair, I think as a child, I looked back at photos. Now I'm like, oh, it's quite cute. But she very much Laura Ashley, puffy dresses that matched and stuff. We had the matching Laura Rusher dresses, me and my sister as well. I think we were talking about that recently with my mum. So, do you not remember the matching Laura? They folded recently, didn't I they? know, end of an era. <laughs> yeah, mum was the classic, like, if my sister was in, you know, navy, I'd be in red. But the same jumper, like, it's just <laughs> in a different colour. And, and, you know, it was just, oh, always. But carry on, sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I always have prints. Just really quirky. 
dressing my kids in clothes that didn't look like every other kid in the playground. You know, not ridiculously wacky. I didn't send them out in, you know, feathers and headdresses, but just cool prints, great fabrics. I always dress my son in leggings, doesn't have any jeans or things. So yeah, it came down to that really. And then like I mentioned at the beginning, when my son turned about three, I just found it really hard to find what I wanted anymore. I think they kind of give up and go, they're not cute little babies anymore. They're out, you know, talking about, it doesn't really matter what they wear. And I would struggle to find. And, and there were a couple of brands I liked, but they were all European brands. And I knew what I wanted, I couldn't find it. So I just thought, why don't I try and create my own clothes for him? I think when I first said it out loud to a friend, I knew I was actually going to do it. I put it out there in the universe and I had no idea how I was going to do it. But I knew that was going to be like that was a light bulb moment. That was a creative like boy that I was missing. And that was going to get me to where I wanted to get me in the escape route out of my corporate life. What did your friend say when you said that? She didn't laugh me out of the pub, actually, which was a good sign. And considering she actually worked at H&M Kidswear herself. So she, you know, she knew her stuff, but she knew me and knew my kids and knew how I dressed them and probably could see that I wasn't completely drunk when I told her so <laughs> yeah I think that was it when you do tell people they take you seriously although you know that again that's another lesson completely different subject not listening to people when they do want to talk you out of something but yeah and that's where it all started and actually weirdly Club and Pudding I bought the URL for that a year before I even had any idea what I was going to do with it because I always had a feeling I was going to do something with the name but had no idea what where did the name come from then they were the name of my baby bumps. So my eldest is Cub. I have to, I don't give their names on social media. I have to always think because I no longer call them Cub and Pudding. But my eldest boy was Cub when I was pregnant and my daughter was Pudding when I was pregnant. And then when they were born, those names were never used again, actually. But I just like them. <laughs> yeah, no, it's lovely. I love that. So you obviously say it to your friend one night in the pub. How long did it take for that idea to, you know, manifest into a reality? And what did the process look like as well? Yeah, it's hard to sort of look back and think in the exact timeline, but it was, I think it was about 18 months until I launched from that point of talking about it. So there was a, yeah, trying to look back on where it all started. I took a course first, an online course at the London College of Fashion about production, just clothing production, just to give me a really basic understanding of how the hell you make clothes and what goes into it. So that was quite handy because it was on a Saturday morning for six weeks for a couple of hours and I just got to grips with that. And then I actually followed it where they had the children's production course, which I would do. That was at five o'clock. So I remember actually going to my boss at that point and first mentioning it to him. And he was kind of like, I think he probably sussed out that I was a little bit unhappy and I wasn't going to get home in time, essentially. So I said, can I use a meeting room when I finish work and go and sit there on the computer and he was like yeah that's fine it's fine so that would kind of go straight from my job to sit in a room in my corporate clothes and that's where it started and then I just started swatting up the British Library is like my best friends I'm a member there now though because of Corona I haven't obviously been there for a while they've got the the learning center there so you kind of go in and do market research on you know trends for buying and they do loads of little workshops too which are really inexpensive and quite quick about you know how to write a business plan and how to copyright a business and should you be a limited company so I was sort of ingesting everything at the same time I'd be doing it in the morning when I was on the train I'd be doing it my lunch breaks and in the evenings and buying books there's a great book called Fashionpedia which is just again gives you pretty much A to Z of where to start with making an item of clothing and all the jargon and all the processes goes into it and then I think then trying to source where I was going to get it made was the tricky part and where Mm. I kind of thought uh, I'm going to reach a stumbling block here and I didn't know what to do 
luckily it just so happened fate would be I tried to find some places in the UK but it just seemed that everyone wanted me to produce 500 of everything and I just didn't have the confidence to know what I should do with that so I mentioned it to my life coach one day and she said actually one of my clients produces workout gear in Portugal with an agent should I put you in touch and um, yeah, long story big, she put us in touch and that agent is now my agent and um, I produce in Portugal and she's kind of my eyes and ears and the ground there, which saved me having to learn even faster, I think, because, you know, I, I trust her to do a lot of the relationship talking and the process building for me on that side of the world. Yeah, that's how it all kind of started. That's amazing. I want to follow up with that, though, because obviously the factory side of fashion yeah. There's so much in the press at the moment on kind of fast fashion and just the ethics behind it, et cetera, et cetera. And how did you approach all of that kind of thing? Because it's so important now, isn't it? And obviously, like getting everything made overseas. Mm. How did you go about making sure that you weren't going to go down the dodgy route? Yeah, visiting. So I started making friends in the kind of kids. I went to a couple of trade shows and I made a great friend who's still a friend now who already was doing kids wear. I got to hear a lot that the best places for production and for good quality cotton were Turkey and Portugal. So I knew that Portugal was going to be a good solution for me. And yeah, I went over there. I flew over there. So I hate flying. So that was a massive, even that. So I took my best friend with me who's got her own business. And we went and visited the factory, met my agent in person. And um, yeah, visited the factory. And it was as simple as that, really. You know, I was really happy. It's actually a female-run factory, which I love. So there's two women who, their business, her brother's on the machines and doing all the designs. They don't speak great English, but my agent does. So we've been out for lunch where we're all kind of like... Lots of gestures. (laughs) Yeah. sort of signaling like this I've been over twice I went over again last year and you know it's a great factory it's you know it, there's a lot of light and air one o'clock they all finish for lunch you know no holds barred gone for an hour and then they finish at the end of the day dead on they all shut down in August for some holiday you know it's just a really nice environment and it's really important to me because I have had a few customers you know, I understand saying where do you produce and things and for me to be able to say look I've been over there I've seen firsthand I've seen my clothing come off the production line which is also really exciting it's a family-run business. It's really small. They're producing small runs. So that, again, was it was a relief that it was all worked out really well. And actually, much as I hate flying, Porto is it's really easy to get in and out of in two days. You, know, you can go there in a day. So it's, while I'm not quite managed to get it on home soil, it's a really good place to just go and visit and can do it quite practically without having to fly to India or China where other people... I was going to say, it's quite handy once COVID's out of the way. Just, you know, you could go over there, suss everyone out and then have a nice holiday. It's lovely. <laughs> Porto is so nice as well. You know, we, we basically spent the first day at the factory and then we tagged on a couple of days, me and the best friend, it's been like 20 years and just spent two days hanging out and eating and drinking. So. Oh, Dave, blame you one bit it sounds dreaming yeah <laughs> okay, let's let's go back to obviously you said how exciting it was seeing the garments kind of come off the light so I think one of the biggest barriers for fashion is obviously hitting those minimum order requirements so obviously you said that Portugal kind of gave you a good solution I'm really interested in how you funded that first initial minimum order because again massive massive barrier it's something that always comes up when people say you know I want to launch a fashion brand so how you went about that and obviously that process of just seeing it finally yeah what that felt like really exciting so they funded the first collection a mix of 0% credit card in honesty 
I borrowed a thousand or so from a family member. And at that point, obviously, I was still working. So I was lucky enough that we got an annual salary, um, annual bonus, not annual salary. Yes, <laughs> You're lucky you get a salary. Oh, thanks. I got a bonus at the bank, which was pretty decent. So I could put that towards it. So it was a mix, but I did take on, you know, debt for it because I didn't have X thousand pounds just sitting around just to use willy nilly. And I think because I knew it was coming, I, I was able to save up a little bit. But yeah, I'm still paying the 0% credit card off for that. You know, it's going to be a while. So, yeah, that was the reality of how I funded the first collection. Oh, I've forgotten the second part of the question. No, but the second part was like, I think it's just really good of you to be so honest about it because it's something that always, it comes up. And I think that like the, the credit card or whether it is, you know, borrowing money from family, I mean, I've borrowed a bit from my mum, my sister, and like you pay it back when it comes through and all of that. It's just the reality, isn't it? And like, you know, they've helped paying my mortgage when I haven't been able to, et cetera, et cetera. And then you kind of, a bill comes through and you pay them back and blah, blah, blah. It comes in waves, doesn't it? You know, that is Yeah, reality. definitely. And it can be really, really tough sometimes. But obviously, when you do see those garments come off, like how, how long was it from like briefing the design in to like having it in your hand? I think the first one, I made the boo-boo of, because Portugal shut down every summer and I was too slow off the mark, so I hadn't quite got in all the details I needed to the first time round. Oh, no. So it stalled me by a month. I originally had wanted to launch in the January of 2019, and I ended up launching in the April by the time it all came off. So obviously also what counted as well is that while I was keen to launch, there was no immediacy and that I was very lucky that I was still working. I still had a salary. So I was ticking along, but there wasn't, you know, this gaping deadline in terms of, oh my God, you've got to launch tomorrow or, you know, there's no money coming in. So it was a bit of a, you know, good balance. So it probably was a year from the minute I first met my agent to actually then seeing those come off. It was a weird feeling because I think when you've looked at the design so much, I probably should have been a bit, it wasn't that it wasn't exciting, but I think I'd seen them so many times that it didn't feel real for a start. And it's still weirdly now is surreal when I'm sending off clothes. I can't always relate myself to that I've designed these and someone else is wearing them. But yeah, it was exciting. But I think I'm quite uh, trepidatious in terms of, you know, I was thinking, oh, what's going to go wrong? And I, I think I was waiting for someone else to validate it, basically. While I was kind of like, I think these designs are cool. I don't know. It's only me that's really seen them until someone first bought them. When I loved it, he thought, oh, "Okay, okay, it's, it's okay, it's okay." It's yeah. just me in my little bubble, going, "Oh, these designs are lovely," and everyone else going, "No, they're really shit." Actually, yeah, a so bit funny. awkward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So for the second collection, seeing that come off the production line was more exciting because I think I got used to the idea of being, you know, a business owner at that point. It's so interesting, isn't it? How that journey to like accepting that that's what you do that is such a strange mental journey that you go on yeah. and I was actually having this conversation the other day like obviously she can she did business model change last week and it's something that's been in my head for you know two years and I've been running she can she did for three years and I feel like it's only three years in that I feel comfortable saying what she can she did has been doing for three years yeah. and now I've got to introduce it in a completely different way and it's just like oh do you know what I mean it's constantly like learning and like sitting with what you do and Definitely. accepting that that's what you do and owning it yeah. Let's talk about getting the word out there then. You said obviously it was only when someone bought it and said they loved it that it really started to, you know, sink in. So how did you go about getting the brand out there and really kind of making a name for for yourself or the brand, I should say, when there's so much competition out there? Yeah, it's 
tough one. I'm still still working on that every single day. I feel like I'd set up my Instagram account, I think about three or four months before I launched, just trying to, you know, get a little bit of hustle out there, teasing some graphics on there about, you know, coming soon, sneaking a little bit of a print through and obviously spreading the word with friends and things. But it was a, a slow burner. I mean, the first month, the reality, and even, you know, again, being completely transparent, even only in the past six months, the first month I did well in relative terms because it was basically my friends and family buying everything that led to a really false sense of security for my second Mm. month where I was like oh I'm now going to have to work for some orders because it was just you know mates and their kids kids mates I'm good I'm always like um (laughs) so word of mouth at the beginning helped and social media so being on Instagram but when I think of my Instagram now compared to then you know, I really wasn't doing hardly anything, really. And I, I didn't know what I was doing. And I think because at that point, compared to now, which I'll obviously touch on, I was still working. So I was still working four days a week at the bank. And, you know, a mum of two, and my wife. And again, only now I can look back and go, God, I really wasn't doing that much, Sarah, at all. I, I've compared my analytics from this year. And thought, um, <laughs> what I remember is taking for like, you know, May or June last, last year. It's like, oh my God, that was bloody awful. it's just one day a week and I wasn't doing that much I thought I was I would pop up on Instagram with the odd picture I'm not daily and you know sort of assuming people would find me by just friends talking yeah I wasn't doing nearly enough um compared to now where I am but equally like you said job mum of two wife all of that that's a lot of things to be juggling so just doing it in the first place is good enough right got the, the motions going so that's where it started to, I had to make some decisions, basically. So by June time, I kind of was like, I need to give more to comforting. And I asked if I could draw. I've only ever worked full time, ever. I came back from both maternity leaves and worked full time. And I was pretty much the only person I knew who did that. Most of my friends went back, you know, at least a four day week after having kids. So that was always massive to me. And I always told myself and my coach, this is where she challenged me. But I couldn't do part time. I can't, I can't afford it, but learn, you know. And then it was a reality check when I dropped a a four-day week that actually I wasn't completely solely broke. I just cut back on stuff, especially because my salary was fairly decent. I didn't need to buy as many X clothes, et cetera. So then when I asked to drop to three days, again, because I was a PA, they were not keen at all. You know, when you're PA to the head of a bank, the idea of you not being there two days a week is not something they're massively, you know, they don't want to have to do their own anything particularly. So it took them over a month to get back to me to say yes. But I made the decision then because I was so hell-bent on it that if they came back and said no, I would have quit. Don't know what I would have done. I think I would attempt for a bit. But I was kind of like, you know, this is all I want to do three days. If you don't like it, I'm going to leave. They worked it out and I did drop to a three-day week from June. But then by September, I realized it still wasn't enough. And pretty much overnight, decided to quit. So I was on a three-month notice. I did it quite calculated in terms of timing. I knew I wanted to take myself right up to my final Christmas salary and then start working on company full-time from January the 1st. It just got to the point where I was so, I just felt so overwhelmed. I would get to work, office work, and I'd be like, you know, under the desk of my phone, answering questions from customers. And then one of my bosses would come along and be like, you know, can you do this PowerPoint on banking? And I'd be just like, oh, fuck off, you know, just, yeah. <laughs> but then it was really awful because, you know, I was being paid to do that job. And I, 
it was naughty because I I knew like come on Sarah it's not their fault that you don't want to be yeah yeah and I started dropping the ball massively I started making mistakes because I just stopped caring I really stopped caring and it's a dangerous place to get to when you get like that at a job that you're you know someone else's payroll for because you get sloppy you get a bit resentful and bitter and (laughs) grumpy essentially so I overnight decided I was going to hand in my notice I had never made my salary from carbon pudding ever not even really near so it was a massive risk because I was like you know I might not make any money I don't know if I can do this but I knew that there was absolutely no way I would be able to do that unless I was full-time in pudding. unless I gave all my focus energy to making my business fly how would I ever know if I could make it a success and I can't do that in two days a week it just wasn't going to happen one of my favorite quotes is that better an oops than a what if and it's so exactly. true. I'm a risk taker and I'm one of those people that I make up my mind about something, I'm doing it. My husband and I are chalk and cheese like that. He will procrastinate for five years on something and I've done it, <laughs> um, which can be really silly sometimes, but I've made up my mind, I'm doing it. And I, yeah, went in pretty much. And my boss was quite shocked, I think. And that was the longest three months ever of working that notice. So it was quite me. Because in banking, a lot of people, when they quit, they go to another bank. So they're immediately put on gardening leave. So they get to sit at home for three months with their feet up being paid their massive salary. And I was really, really bitter because I was like, this is not a PA. Why can't you just tell me to go home for three months? You know, I'm going to a competitive bank PA. But yeah, so it was a really long three months working there. But yeah, I started January fresh. No more, which is still, I still dream about it. I still wake up thinking, oh, I don't have to do any more expenses and really boring, you know, Excel spreadsheets. So, uh, yeah, that was huge for me. Ten years I was there. Wow. What was the first day of full time, no bank, no security, nothing like that? It's just you and your business. What did that feel like? Do you remember? Yeah, it was amazing in terms of in November time last year, we found me and my husband and one of my fellow small business pals who lives up the road, we found a studio. Um, which is just up the road from us in a, a really lovely arts like center. And um, that was a big move for us because we'd always worked living room, you know, bedroom, desk. So having setting up an adult studio on my first day of January, it felt really, you know, really grown up and surreal and exciting. And I just started kind of doing lots of little courses that I wanted to do and investing money in the business, which was scary too, because, you know, you didn't necessarily think it was going to come off. It had, I think it sunk in. I think because in the first bit, it just kind of feels like maybe you're just on holiday from your old job. And so until you've been doing it a few months and you really have, although I did have someone contact me about like, do you remember where you put this invoice or something? And I was like, dude, I, you know, I parked that job the minute I left the building. Please don't ask me anything more about that. Yeah, it was really surreal. I just, the freedom of it was massive that I didn't have to answer to anyone apart from myself from that moment. So yeah, really liberating. Yeah, that's amazing. Let's move on then. So this is January 2020 we're talking about. So COVID three months in, how was it going from January to March? Not great, actually. Not great. So January was quite good. February and March were pretty abysmal, in all honesty. I think I didn't really know what I was doing. I had no focus. I was kind of all over the shop with what shall I do today? And not not really having any clear direction. I think, you know, the reality of being a business owner by yourself, there's no one to really, I've got small business friends, obviously, but no one to really kind of told you that accountable. So that was a big turning point is the accountability. And that is when it just happened that I started doing a program. It's called the Rebora with someone called Annie Redoubt. And she's got her own business. And it was essentially like a mentoring program for four months. 
kind of her one-on-one or she did it with a group of us where she just kind of was there as a mentor stroke coach to try and push me through the business and give me some direction to basically you know increasing my sales increasing my exposure so that came at the right time because I just didn't know what I was doing and I I went to her and said I need to be making this much per month and I'd never done it and I didn't know if I could do it and um she said you know okay right let's let's just see and she just she just gave me all these ideas I didn't have before. So up to that point, I was falling and failing a little bit. Um, and then she came along just as March hit and Corona hit, essentially. And yeah, everything changed. How? It actually, it got a lot better <laughs> for me. I was really lucky. Initially, I was really nervous, but I just found that everyone just like buckle down and started shopping small. I think there were so many people at home and a lot of people who were being paid that were furloughed. So they kind of, you know, nothing else to do, stuck in the house and they just got online and they started shopping. And I think the support for small businesses really, really kind of just went boom because they saw that, you know, oh my gosh, we've got to survive and it's just little old us. And actually what we're doing is just as important or more important than the high street shops who are doing whatever they're doing and not necessarily always ethical ways, some of the big corporates. And um, yeah, I just, I was surprised and equally shocked that everyone just came out to support me. And I felt like more people obviously were on social media again from just, you know, having not much else to do a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So I felt a a lot more present to people and my, my interaction with my customers really started to take off and form like much more relationships behind the scenes. So yeah, and working with Annie at the same time, giving me all these different ideas and mentorship and all of us women in business supporting each other in this little group. Yeah, I had a really good few months and I doubled my target, which I never thought I would have done. And it gave me the confidence, I think, to see each month with a different kind of energy that I didn't have before. That's it. I think it's you roll with that momentum, don't you? Yeah. And it's, it is interesting, you know, <clears throat> I've spoken to a number of founders now in terms of COVID and it's just such a mixed bag, but you are right for a product-based business that's Instagram's the big platform for you. People were online more and it is so true that that support did kind of show up for it, for a lot of people. And it's so good that you were willing to roll with that. And do you know what I mean? Because, you know, I've heard stories where people kind of get those unexpected sales come in and don't know what to do with it in the terms of they can't respond quick enough. So it's good that you kind of did. Yeah, I felt I was really lucky. I was just in a really fortunate position that I had all my stock here. I mean, I I had to obviously bring a lot home to the house, but essentially it was all here anyway. It was just me. I didn't have a production line that I had to kind of manage. I could get to the post office. I could do everything here. So I I felt really, really lucky that it didn't affect me in terms of... But I remember there was quite a lot of chat at the beginning, and I don't know if pressure is the right word, but there was a lot of kind of, you know should we be showing up and selling, you know, in times of crisis, Mm. there was almost like a guilt, you know, oh, should I be putting myself out there? And then, you know, quite rightly, it's like, well, yeah, I shouldn't be ashamed. I have a business, I have bills to pay, you know, I'm not, I'm not. Children still need to be clothed. (laughs) Exactly. You know, mum's got to eat, you know, it's like, (laughs) so actually after I got over that initial, you know, hell yeah, I'm turning up and I'm, I'm selling like I always have. I think, people, you know, started rallying around even more to go, yeah, why not? You know, but there was a slight kind of iffy, you know, blurred line at the beginning, or should we all be kind of sitting here being quiet and being respectful of everything that's going on in the world and the pandemic and the crisis. But equally, that was not going to pay my mortgage. So don't be ashamed of doing what you do, basically. So no, absolutely. Because obviously, the We Can We Will series, I was doing like a daily series that kind of looked at how founders were kind of responding 
And it's so interesting, I always say, in hindsight, looking back at the first few episodes, which were recorded just before Boris's announcement. So the weekend before the 23rd of March. And that first week of recordings, there was so much panic on there. And just that was the biggest worry, you know, like, do we show up? Does that make us look bad? Like, how do we respond to this, et cetera, et cetera. And it's so interesting to see five, six weeks in how people are adapting. It's kind of, and it's just so it's such a testament to how small businesses, especially, there is that freedom to adapt that quickly. And it's kind of the bigger the business gets, the harder it is to kind of respond like that. So yeah, no, I think kudos to everyone that rose to the challenge. Yeah, I get the impression that you enjoy sales. <laughs> yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a weird one because I always fancy when I started doing local markets last year, I actually hate it face to face. I'm basically doing an accelerator course. I've been doing it for the last six weeks. I've got a new mentor and a big part of it, he calls self-edification, just showing up and just being, you know, bold and just not apologizing for selling and just holding yourself differently. But I found it really, really difficult. People will come up and say, you know, <laughs> would come and look at my clothes. And I'd be like, do I have to have some sort of like chat here? Do I just leave? <laughs> I, was, I was so awkward. I'm kind of like, oh, oh, hi, yeah, I, I'm Sarah. And I, you know, I, I draw the leggy and, you know, it's just, oh, it's still cringe. And I think because it excites me now and yeah, maybe I have, I do approach selling really differently now because I just, you know, love what I do. And I kind of, I think if you're maybe doing something, you know, you're selling a pen that you don't really like and it's all a bit embarrassing, but yeah, I do. I enjoy the chase a bit. Yeah. And I've got lots of customers and they kind of know that I'm going to be like, oh, you know, can I convince you yet? Can I tempt you? And they're kind of like, oh, here she is again. But yeah, yeah face to face, I find it awkward. But from social media, I'm all over it because I'm like, you know, what's the worst that can happen? They can ignore me or, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it is, it just goes to show that the hat gets more comfortable the longer you wear it kind of thing. Because it is like, I was the exact same when I was talking to brands at the beginning and trying to partner and compared to like now, it's sort of like it's a game, isn't it? It's like, okay, well, I'm proud of what I'm doing. And it's sort of like, you know, you either like it or you don't. And if they don't, it's you kind of dust yourself off and someone will. Yeah, exactly. The other day I launched like a pre-order of some items at the moment, which I haven't actually got the finished samples of. And what's been lovely is I've put it out there on my social media to say, like, would you guys, because I had a few people contact me because I'm starting adult dungarees, which is really exciting for me. And to say, you know, they're like, when are you going to start selling them? And I was like, well, would you order them from like, you know, the sketches and stuff? And they were like, hell yeah. And what was really nice is I kind of went out there and said, like, these are here for pre-order. And I started selling them. Whereas at the beginning, it was, you know, so hard, like turning up to say, and no one knew who I was to go, hi, they've got these really lovely dungarees. And, and people kind of like, yeah, but who are you? And, yeah. and it was so nice. You know, people trusted me now before they've ever seen the finished product to buy, because I think I'm there talking about stuff a lot and they know me and they know the brand. It was such a different mindset shift to a year ago where I would be like, but this is great. Look at it. And they kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know who you are. Moving on kind of thing. No, absolutely. I've obviously got a long way to go still, but I think having the audience now really helps and selling to an audience that knows you is really different to turning up at a market, which is probably the difference, isn't it? And strangers coming up to you and they're like, Coven who? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's so funny if I'm at a trade show or something, just like for research, I will always make an effort to speak to, you know, even if I'm not interested, I just speak to the person running the stall because oh. the amount of founders I've spoken to about that experience being behind the market store. Like to be fair, I remember helping my uncles out when I was growing up at like a foodie trade show. And like, I remember finding that a bit awkward. So I do get it, but I can imagine it's just so much more personal. It's your stuff on the line. 
nothing worse than being next to a stall which is doing amazingly yeah I had a couple last year and you know I was next to like a brownie stall at Christmas and it's obviously completely different to me and they were like brownies and candles could not sell those candles fast enough at Christmas and it's so demoralized because obviously you're there your face that having to be I'm fine that no one's coming. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm all candles. <laughs> and then underneath, yeah, I'm texting my husband and be like, I just want to go. Can I pack up now? And one of them I did, I was like, I'm just going to go and bring the car around, you know, like, sod this. I had a three hour drive home. I'm going now, you know, yeah. yeah. So um, I think we've all been there where you just had disastrous, ugh, having to show up. It makes you stronger though. Let's roll with the um, challenges. What have you found to be the hardest part of this journey so far? Ooh, hardest part. I think exposure is always hard, finding your audience and finding people to trust. You know, I think the reality is that people, they have to sort of see you six or seven times or so before they kind of trust you to buy from you. And I've definitely had that right for customers. Right? I've seen that they've been talking to me for a while, then suddenly a sale comes through. And it's been, you know, a few months since we first talked, but they've obviously suddenly gone, okay, I, I get you now, I'm going to buy now. And yeah, just the challenge of getting exposure, social media. I mean, I rely so much on Instagram and it can be such a bugger sometimes because the blessed algorithm, you don't know where you are on there. And I think... Sometimes you're too reliant on that, then you've got nothing to fall back on. I think challenges of things like stock, you know, the reality being, you know, if I want to order a whole new range, it's going to cost me thousands and thousands of pounds. It's a long lead time and it's not something I can just do overnight. So I'm conscious when I run out of certain stock and I'm, you know, people are all coming to me saying, I haven't got, you haven't got that in stock. I can't do anything about it. And it's quite tricky because it's a big decision to make a new investment and I've never restocked an item I've done that once before and I'm reluctant to do it but equally uh, yeah so those decisions are tough when you know you, you don't have anything to fall back on no kind of plan b I had that actually during lockdown where I wanted to produce some t-shirts and I've always designed everything from scratch I'm quite particular about that but I knew I couldn't in lockdown because my battery shut and I just kind of stuck I've got no new products so it's the first time that I decided to make peace with buying off the shelf organic plain teas and then doing the print myself as in designing obviously and then getting them screen printed which was actually yeah a massive blessing in disguise because I could print really small runs ad hoc and they sold but I yeah I really had to make peace with it and I still haven't made peace with it completely because it's not my brand ethos I like doing everything completely bespoke I want to know I own it from beginning to end and I don't own those t-shirts that anyone technically can buy them to do their own print which I doesn't sit that well with me but you know a couple of people were like you know you just get over it <laughs> just get over it this is you've got to like you know roll with the time especially obviously during the pandemic that you have no other options just stop being a, an idiot and do it so those kind of challenges where you're you've just got to sort of decide to either go with something or just change your mindset change your mindset also those days where you're having a down day you've had a few days and no sales and it can be hard there's always that moment, I think, like any freelancer where they think, am I ever going to get work again? Am I ever going to get sales again? And it only takes a good day to go, oh, it's going to be fine. But it can be so hard in the moment, depending on your menstrual cycle, how you're feeling, how tired you are. But I've really changed how I do things in the last few months because I'm doing this accelerator program and they're really changing the way we approach our day from the minute we wake up. And I think that's really helped in terms of visualization, meditation, exercise first thing in the morning and uh, that kind of thing. So you've got to look after yourself at the same time. Absolutely. I work out in the morning for that exact reason. And always ever since launching She Can, She Did, I used to, when I was commuting to London, I'd always do it in the evening. But the minute I became self-employed, I was like, right, let's get it out of the way first thing because you've accomplished something. And it's yeah. just like, it's you up for the day and you feel good and off you go. 
my default is sitting and not moving. So it's a really <laughs> real change for me. I always swam. I enjoyed swimming, although I've not been for six months, but I'm not someone that enjoys getting up any kind of sweat or heart. So when they first said it, our first ever session, you have to get up every morning and do a body changing cardio. I was like, oh my God, you know, please no. And it has to be, you know, pre 6am and I like my sleep. Oh, blimey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, my, I get, a, I get a text <laughs> from my mentor, my coach every morning at like, like 5.45, get up, get up, start the day. But Bye. it's great because I'm accountable to her. So it's great because otherwise I would be like, oh, I'm just going to lie. But she, I know that I have to send her a picture of me sweaty in my workout gear. So I do it. And um, I, I like that. I like someone going, come on, get on with it. If yeah. I'm answerable to myself for things like exercise, I just won't do it. I'll find an excuse. So yeah, that's been life-changing. And yeah, but the thing is, is with all of that, like it's just habits, isn't yeah. it? And it is yeah. so it does quickly become the norm. And then you realise how much better it is once you are in that habit. And like, it's so much better to push through that. Yeah. The horrible feeling in bed when you don't want to get up. And it's sort of like, it you does. know, it's well, a little better. Uh, honestly, I've really noticed that the past fortnight. It's just like the mornings are suddenly like, ooh. I've had to put the security light outside in the garden and work out half in the dark until the sun starts coming up, which is going to be interesting. But uh, yeah. <laughs> No, that's the thing. And it is, it's just kind of finding ways to deal with all of those challenges, isn't it? I have obviously noticed that you do have coaches and everything. So is that a kind of conscious decision from the beginning? And like, I know in um, your initial email, you mentioned about the networking group. How has your, I suppose, circle of friends and I guess colleagues, if you want to call them that, since day one? It's changed everything. My, I'm not a massively social being in terms of evenings. I like hanging out in the day with people, but I, I quite like my bed in the evening. But I've got so many, in a, a lovely way, so many new business friends since coming. I probably don't appreciate enough that all these people I talk to on a daily basis were not in my life, you know, 18 months ago. I decided, and I think it is personally really important, that having a coach is an investment you need to make as a small business. It's a huge thing to take on because it's not cheap at all. And um, what I pay for a coach, I could have bought a load of new stock and be making money straight away from. But for me personally, I think, you know, working in an industry I've never worked in before, I have no experience in, I've never worked for myself. It's just me. I need someone who has been there, done it. And I know I can learn from her. We've got a very similar, you know, she's a mom of two. She lives locally. She's a bit younger than me. And I I know I can learn all of her, you know, ways and how she did it because there's no magic. It's, you know, there's no, she sat down with us on Monday and told us exactly how she did it. And it's no mm-hmm. trickery there. It's just pure hard work, mindset and just turning up basically. So having this network of women is so important and they are mostly women to be fair, because there's so many challenges you face and, you know, I've got some amazing old friends of old and then my husband and things, but they're not going through the same thing. You know, it's a bit like when you have a baby and you have your NLNCT group at the beginning, you kind of need those this first year because you're all doing it at the same time and you all need to go, oh, my baby's crying, nor do I do right now, not ask someone who did it three years ago because you don't quite remember things in the same way. And, um, you know, we're all going through the same peaks and troughs. And that's really important too, because when you're having a shit day, turning up and saying, guys, I don't know how to deal with this. And someone will say, I've been there. This is how I dealt with it. Or just do this. It's so, so encouraging. And um, again, it's just that accountability too, of having someone to say, I've said I'm going to do this. And, you know, can you just hold me accountable to it? And if I haven't done it, then we're going to look at why. Mm. but a coach is just huge because I just don't think in your new in business you can do it without somebody who has just faced all those challenges and can impart all their wisdom onto you 
and be there as a champion of your business in particular. I think when you do groups, it's great, but obviously they're not personally invested in you as a, as a brand, whereas she knows company and exactly what I'm selling, exactly what I'm doing on a daily basis. And she can get very particular and specific with me that I wouldn't have if I just was part of a bigger group where they're talking to us, which I do weekly as well, about how to you know get over guilt and how to get through confidence issues and things. So yeah, it's a lot of money, but I think I couldn't do it without it. Yeah, no, I love that. In terms of, you obviously mentioned friends that, you know, that you've met since having children, et cetera, et cetera. I'm always very conscious. I hate the phrase, you know, juggling it all because I know that it triggers for some people. But like, what has your experience been like as a not just business owner, but also a mum as well? So um, when I launched last year and I was still working, I always forget that that was a massive reason for me quitting too. I would leave the house in the morning before my kids were awake. My husband would do everything, getting two kids, one to school, one to nursery in opposite directions, whilst also working for himself too. And then I would get home. He would collect them because logistics of having a car and he had it and I didn't. And then I would see them six or seven every evening, which is the worst time anyone will tell you with their children was grumpy and horrible, five days a week. And that was hard so I wasn't around they didn't really know what I was doing because I didn't talk about work and I knew what daddy was doing but I would just arrive back in the evening and yeah so a big decision was I had never taken my eldest to the school gate I never picked him up I never done any of that because I was in the city at 8 30 in the morning at my desk so a big part of quitting and wanting to give company my all was wanting to also be present for the kids as well so it's been a, a huge change because I get to take them every morning. I don't have to ask permission to go to a sports day anymore or to go to a parent's evening and leave early. I'm there. I can switch things around. I mean, the great thing about, you know, having an online shop is in a good way. It doesn't shut. So I'm here in the evenings on my phone. I can do it while I'm sitting next to them and they're drawing and things. I'm conscious that I am a lot more on my phone and a lot more saying to them, hang on a second, guys, hang on a second, guys, which is something, again, that we address with a coach. And it's something that I, again, have to make peace with because... They need to know mummy is building her empire and it's all going to be for the greater good when we have the house that we want. And, you know, I want to see me working hard for myself to know that they can do it too when they're older. But um, yeah, in a way, it's great. That it's made things easier, the balance, because I'm a lot more flexible and I'm not answerable to anybody else. And my husband is also self-employed, so we're both here together. But also, yeah, knowing when to switch off. There's no line drawn under the sand. So like I said, evenings, weekends, I don't like having a weekend off because I, I don't feel I can just park comforting. So compared to when I left the office at 4.30, that was it. I didn't need to think about my job till the next morning at 8.30. That has gone out the window. So I don't have that kind of switch off downtime anymore. But mm. I enjoy it though. I like it. I look forward to it. Monday's a different feeling. And because I enjoy what I do, it doesn't bother me. And COVID helped in a way because none of us had a social life. None of us were going anywhere. So we were all just stuck in working and I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything there. But it is everyday changes. Like, you know, I mentioned that being my daughter break her arm at the weekend and, uh, you know, you never know what's coming with anything in life. So I think you just have to be reactive and know that you can kind of work around it in a different way than when you're, you know, at a desk nine till five every single day. I think that's it, isn't it? It's that kind of just accepting that life will always throw challenges and hurdles your way. But it's like there's a real peace in the fact that you can just accept that whatever happens, you'll deal with it or try your best to deal with it. And that's the best you can do. So the minute you know that is your answer to anything, it's like, okay, well, game on. Like, I'll just make it work. 
Exactly. And I think just always being honest with people. My customers are always really amazing. And, you know, I run behind with orders, posting them out. I always will contact them. And touch wood, everyone's always really lovely. And I think because they know I'm a mom and things, you know, you're a little bit more unforgiving when it's a big corporate brand who hasn't got something you paid, you know, eight pounds from to post and they haven't managed to get it to you. Like, come on, guys. But um, (laughs) yeah, I think just being honest and showing up even on again on social media and being transparent about what's going on in your life is good for people to hear so they know you're not some superwoman that is like yeah all the time I've got this it's it's really easy no 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 that's why I started this exactly No, I love that rounding up then Sarah going forward you obviously said about the empire there Uh, what's what's the end goal where do you see this going not even end goal actually because I you know I'm very aware that sometimes it is it's just kind of you're in it for the life but like what do you want this business to become you worded that right and that I don't have an end goal it's just kind of how I want to see the next six months six months you know beyond that I want to just keep going expanding my product range like I said I'm launching adult dungarees which is really exciting for me because I feel like having the adult wear paired with the kids wear is a really nice way to complement each other and it's worked out really nicely because obviously so many of my customers obviously like well I'm going to buy the adult side as well as the kids I'm hoping to do a collaboration with another brand of a completely new product and just yeah just expanding what I'm selling and offering more it's all an investment and all you know I need to sell more to create more so it's that constant kind of cycle but I'm hoping that momentum will keep increasing so I can do even more I'd love to do a book I'd love to you know just be more and create more in terms of just product offerings essentially but yeah beyond that I sometimes think maybe you know it's not good to think too far in advance because you can't as we said you can't control it so just keep doing what I'm doing but increasing and showing up even more than I already am just is all I can think of at the moment really beyond that so yeah but you never know I kind of always open that's it to what what might happen next I've always got to like yeah why don't why don't we just think about that? I'm very kind of, and I like to turn things around pretty quickly. Like I said, I make a decision and kind of like, yes, do it. So something could come along next week that I hadn't even thought about and I'll just do it. So yeah, I think that's as broad as it gets really. Absolutely. You hold the reins. So it's like you can go where you want. Yeah, no, I love that. Okay, I always end on some statements. So I'll start and I'd like you to finish, please. Being my own boss means? Oh, freedom and opportunity. Absolutely. When it's not quite going to plan, my advice would be to take a step away, have a breather, eat some chocolate, possibly drink some prosecco slash wine. I'm such yeah. a wine girl <laughs> <laughs> or gin. Absolutely. If I could describe myself as a businesswoman, I would say that I am. Oh, um, still come to terms with the term businesswoman, but that I'm very happy to be one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I like that answer. That's good. If I could go back to day one of my business, I'd tell myself that you're going to experience ups and downs. Don't let the bad months fog your mind. It will get better. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And very lastly, you kind of already answered it, but I'm going to ask anyway. I want my legacy to be that. That I design the most universally appreciated unisex kids wear and people just want to keep buying from me. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed that. That's so good. Oh, thank you so much for having me.
thank you so much for listening to that episode. If you have a minute to spare and enjoyed it, of course, it would mean so much to me if you could please rate the podcast below or leave a review if you fancy being extra kind, as apparently it helps to give the series a little boost and helps other female founders and aspiring business owners to find it. For now, though, enjoy the rest of your day and please do look out for next week's episode. Oh,